We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to our February breakfast with Michael Rapogel. Let's tune in and listen to his message to the Brotherhood. Thank you, guys. Man, it's so good to see everybody. I, I just want to double down on one thing that Johnny said, uh, because I, I'm the host guy, and I give the announcements, and I know that nobody listens during announcements, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it again. Uh, he said something about a giveaway. We've never done that before. We're going to have a really good giveaway that you have to be here in the room to win uh, next month. And so you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, Somebody's going to get something really cool. So um, I want to jump into this. Michael and I are good friends. He is my brother. A lot of you know Michael. He's been around here a long time. He's a big personality, right, Michael? Um, He's a big personality, a fun guy to be around. And I could say a whole lot about him, but um, this morning I just want to jump into it because I want to use as much time as we have Um, there are a lot of guys in this room that don't know you, Michael. So tell us a little bit about you, your family, your job, that, that kind of stuff. Sure. So I'm honored to be here. I'm humbled to be here. I have such immense respect for the men in this room. Uh, I have my sons here, mm. uh, my best friend and his, and, and my brother. And it's just an honor to be here, guys. So again, my name is Michael Replogle. Um, I met my wife 20 years ago. I remarried. I met her in 01. We married in 02. We dated for 76 days. Wow. Um, just thought, why not? And, but um, we started going to church and moved right away. I'd gone here a few times back in 01. I'd sneak in the back door yeah. and sit in the very, very back row. And if you yeah. know today, we sit the front row. And, yes, you do. Um, but it's, um, we've been married about 20 years, coming up in June. And then I have five children that I adore. I have four sons that are all here. Mm. Sorry. Right. Didn't take long. No, it didn't. I could not be more proud of the men that God has blessed me to help raise. And I haven't done always the best job. They know me better than anybody. Mm. And they still love me. That's cool. Um, I have a daughter that I adopted when she was 23 months old. She's 34 today. Wow. Um, Yeah, I have two beautiful uh, daughter-in-laws that I absolutely adore. And then Mm -hmm. God's blessed me with six amazing grandkids. I have three granddaughters, three grandsons. Thank you, Colton Dalton. Um, But... um, yeah, I always say if I'd known how cool grandkids were going to be, I would have been nicer to their dads probably. So <laughs> That's okay. You can go, we'll go with them. What do you do? What do you do for a living? So I've been in, uh, I've always wondered, does anybody in this room know what I do? I've been in the contact center space for 35 years. I started right out of college uh, working for a company called USAA in a call center. After about nine years of getting promoted multiple times, I was moved to San Antonio, Texas. Uh, I was called back to start up a brand new company. So four guys got together to start a credit card company called Fingerhut that we took public to Metris. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were from about four guys to 5,000 in yeah. five years. And wow. we've gone through an IPO, went public. So I sold my stock in 2000. And then just from then, just started building call centers and running call centers. I've been to 104 countries, I think, yeah. and built call centers all across the globe. So and yeah. I consult today, so... You've been very, I mean, you're not going to brag about it, but you've been very successful in your career and you've, you've accomplished a great deal, th- things that most people would, would work their whole life or have a dream to accomplish. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, but you also have a few hobbies that I think the guys in this room would, would love to know. What, what is it you do for fun? 
Well, I, I played soccer growing up. I was, I was not that great of an athlete until I found soccer and something kicked off with that. Yeah. And so we have that See, common. there's guys in this room that are going to say, that's why you were good at soccer because you were not that great of an athlete. You don't need to come up to me and say that afterward. You don't know what you're talking about. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I, and, it, and it, it worked out. I played for, we won state twice in, in premier ball in high yeah. school. And then I played at Northeastern and then actually you got picked up at the old Roughnecks and played a few scrub yeah. games with those guys. Yeah. So. But I, I had to get a, um, but there, but my hobby really is hunting. If you know me for more than a minute, I'll hunt anything I can sling an arrow at. And I've been, Throw fortunate, a rock at. I've been fortunate to go to Africa a few times. And I just, I love hunting. I love the outdoors, anything outdoor related. I'm not near as good a hunter as my brother, but I love it. And so yeah. that's a hobby. And then just my family, really. You like to climb mountains too. I do. So, yeah. I do. I'm not really good at it. <laughs> Definitely afraid of heights, but. Well, you, you talk about your family. You've had an amazingly successful career. You've got some hobbies that I think a lot of guys in here would relate to and enjoy. But let's back up a little bit because there's not a one of us in this room that hasn't been dramatically shaped by our coming up years, our childhood. In, in fact, our relationship with our family and in particular our dad does a lot to shape who we are, what we believe about ourselves and about the world around us. And I would guess that in a room this size, there are a lot of you that didn't have the best relationship with your dad, had difficult childhoods that you had to overcome some serious things. And Michael, that, that really has been your story. Tell us a little bit about what your life was like as a kid. Well, just going back, the earliest memory I have, I was talking to my mom about it, and it was about my biological father. Um, I was explaining to her what had happened. I remembered it. And she said, you can't remember that. I said, no, I do. I said, here, I all drew and drew the room kind of where everything was, where the kitchen was, where I stood. I was 18 months old. It was October of 1965. Uh, my dad was screaming at my mom and took a chair and slammed it against the wall at her. It didn't hit her, but it shattered in a million pieces. I can see him more vividly than I can see you right now. And He's wearing blue jeans, no shirt, no shoes, blonde, blonde, blonde hair, glasses, and he, he took off running out the door and drove left, and that's the last time we saw him. Wow. Um, we immediately moved in with my grandmother and grandfather, and they were amazing people. Um, but I remember I would often sneak down the stairs in, in my grandparents' house, and we had little plantation blinds, and I would always look through the window, and eventually I built a pallet on the front door thinking when he came home, the door would hit me, and I would know he's home, and he never came back. Um, it was about a year later, it seemed like. Probably it would have been in 67. Um, I remember a guy coming in the picture. And ultimately, that guy became my dad. And, and they married in January of 68, January 20th of 68. And then we moved out to the country. That's when I moved from a city boy to a country boy. And um, yeah, it was, it was, I just remember being deathly afraid of him. And it, it, immediately, because there were some things that he said, I remember when, before they got married, it scared me. Um, and it was within a year we learned what domestic violence looked like. And there's multiple types of d domestic violence. It's not just physical. And there was a lot of physical, but there was a lot of emotional, financial, um, seclusion, way out in the middle of nowhere in the, in the country. Um, so, but that was, that was my initial memories of childhood. Growing up in that environment, Michael, what were some of the lies the, the enemy deposited in you? I mean, we're, we're talking about it in a matter of minutes. For you, it was year after year after year, adolescent years, going into teenage years. 
going from being a little boy to a young man over the course of all that time, and many of you in this room can remember what was going on in your life during those years and what was shaping you, what you were beginning to believe. What were, what were some of the things that you started to believe living in that kind of an environment? Was a young man, mom told me that any guy that got within three feet of me, I said, is that my dad, is that my dad? So I was really longing for a father. Um, in many ways, my adoptive father was, was amazing, but he was angry, um, insecure, um, and I just remember growing up in constant fear. I said this when we did the video, but I learned to take a beating. I mean, that just, you just learn to roll with that in some ways. Maybe it made me tough. I don't know. He gave me a work ethic of a grown man when I was six, seven years old. Um, but it was just the shoe was going to fall at any time. And he was always angry and very insecure. And he, that anger would come and get displaced on my older brother and I. Um, sometimes with my mom, sometimes very bad with my mom. Um, but that just started escalating. And, and, and I started always filling in the blanks with something negative about myself. Sorry something negative about myself. I, uh, I knew that I wasn't, maybe if I worked harder, if I was a little bit smarter, if I was a little bit cuter, believe it or not, I used to think if I was a little bit taller, maybe he'd like me more. That's why he's my favorite pastor. But um, <laughs> Thank you, Michael. I knew there was some reason. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> no, it's, it's true though, because I was always insecure about my size. And, um, um, and so I just started believing, I fill in the blanks with something negative about myself. I just need to do more, be more, work harder, be better boy, be, be more obedient, just kind of almost anticipate. And in many ways, God brought good things out of that because I, I, I developed a skill unknowingly to be uber conscious about my surroundings and what's going on and pick up, you know, hidden clues to kind of get ahead of him yeah. so we can might mitigate the next, you know, episode. So. Yeah. So there comes a time, obviously, in every boy's life. A little thing happened to me last night. Shannon brought in a jar of something and said, I can't get this open. And I, I was hammering on that thing. Man, I don't know what the deal was. I couldn't get this jar open. And then my son, Ethan, comes in and he's like, popped it open. I'm like, wait a second. He's not stronger than me. And you're not, by the way. But there comes a time when, you know, you're, you're a man, and no longer can that person hurt you physically. <laughs> they can still inflict damage on you through the relationship. But you pretty quickly were your own man, moved into your 20s, 30s, even 40s. Those three decades, you started chasing a lot of things based on what you'd been through. And we all do this based on the lies that you'd believed, based on things that you believed about yourself, based on insecurities that you had you start running full steam as a grown man into adulthood and you start having success and you're pursuing a lot of things. Talk about what you were after in those decades. Well, one thing that I, I've, I've shared this before, but you know, there was a saying when we were kids, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And man, there's, that's a load of crap. Yeah, it is. Um, the physical part you learn to deal with, but the words, the cutting, the constant cutting down, the constant uh, emasculating, demoralizing, um, you would have a win, he would knock you down and, 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 do, and have the inverse impact on how he reacted to you. Um, 
It's funny because I have an older brother who I absolutely adore, but we took different paths in life. He's very kind of recluse and, 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 and keeps things hidden inside. He's, and he's a wonderful man, but um, I, it impacted me differently. I went after stuff. I got a very aggressive. I just had this, I'm going to show you mentality. I remember I was speaking to a company in Missouri one time and a guy came to me after, the, after we talked and he said, what drove you in your life? I bet it was your dad. And I said, it was. He said, was he amazing? I said, no, he wasn't. I just wanted to prove him I could, I could win. I could do this. I could do that. I could be successful. And I really developed a, a, a horrible set of skills or, or uh, uh, habits that I, I became very me-centered and, and winning-centered and, and standing out-centered. And I, God has blessed me in my career beyond what I ever would have imagined. Nobody grows up thinking when I grew up, I'm going to work in a call center. I mean, <laughs> if you do, you're crazy. Um, but but I, I, it was all about getting promoted, about winning, about being the best, about working hard. They want you to stay late, you stay twice as late. Show up early, do stuff without being asked, be a perfectionist, everything you do. And all of my value and everything was always hinged to what I had achieved, what I had just done. It drove me, really. I think Pastor Witt talked about that one time, but how it impacted me. And it was really just, and all I ever wanted was my dad to be proud. Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say I wanted my biological father to show up and say, wow, I've heard what you've done or this or that. And that didn't happen. Um, I remember one time I, I played collegiate soccer at Northeastern and I had won some accolades and awards and I was pretty proud of them and Honestly, the only person I really wanted to tell was my dad. So I ran home and after mom, le- mom left him in December of 83 when I was in college and it, really I was pursuing him constantly, going out to see him. And I remember one time I went out there on the, and it was still, he lived way in the back of the woods where we grew up. And I said, hey dad, guess what? And he, I, I remember it, I can see his face right now. He was sitting on the ground changing brake shoes, if that tells you what kind of year it was and on a, on a pickup and I said, Dad, guess what? I just was nominated for this, and I just won this award. And, and he just was very, so what? You know, it was like, that doesn't matter. Michael, those things aren't important in life. And I said, yeah, but I just, I thought you'd be proud. And, and this hurt. Um, I remember it vividly well, because he turned and he looked at me, and he said, Michael, I'm not even your real dad. Why don't you go find him? I think it was the first time I ever dropped the F-bomb at my dad, if I'm being honest. How dare you? You're the only man I've ever known. Why? And I end up leaving. And it was just a series of that, those kind of interactions over the next, well, forever, really, until April 10th, 2010. And we were turkey hunting in in Tahlequah, and I was with my brother, and I looked at him. I thought, this is the last time I'm ever going to see your face. I'm I'm not doing this. I'm not going to pursue you. If you want nothing to do with me, it didn't matter what I did it just got knocked down or, or, or just tore me down. That doesn't matter. And you're not all you think you are and you're not this and you're not that. And so it just fueled that drive in me, I guess, very unhealthily. So I think you're a really, really, really strong dude in a lot of ways. And a lot of you in here, maybe all of you in here are strong men. But we're not invulnerable to being wounded. And what do we do with that? 
I mean, there's not a man in this room that when they hear that story, something inside you doesn't hurt because it's not supposed to be like that. You're supposed to feel the love of a father. You're supposed to feel the pride of a father and his son. And when you don't have it, and a lot of you haven't, it hurts. It creates a wound that if we don't find healing for that wound, it will affect everything. It will affect our marriage. It will affect us as dads. It will affect us in the impact we have on people at work. I guess I just want to pause here and say, if you walk around with this front of strength and I'm fine and I've got it all together, but you've got stories like that, you're probably not fine and that's all right. None of us are. That's why we do this. So that those things, those real wounds don't hold us back from moving into the life that God has for us, from being the husbands and the fathers that God calls us to be. And I think, Michael, that's why I wanted your story to be shared because I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because here's one more thing I want you to talk about to these guys. You started chasing some stuff and you started having success. You said it in the video that we showed in, in a service. It was uh, work, working out, and women. Yeah. And you pretty much experienced what the world would say is awesome in all three of those areas for a time. Talk about that and talk about where it led you. Well, I had two failed marriages. I've never said that publicly like this. That's, I used to find that embarrassing, but it's a part of the story. Um, they weren't bad women. And, and I was not an abusive man by any stretch, but I put 100% of the pressure on them to make me feel good about me. You know, and of course they tried, um, but that no, no human can do that. No, no human can make you feel what you're wanting to feel. If they do, it's temporarily. They're not designed to do that. Plus I found out God's really jealous for that role. He wants that role. He wants to be that to me. And, and I never didn't love God. And I never, I was a Christian since I got saved in 1978 at New Life Ranch. But man, I just thought God was this domineering or dominating, looking over me. And I was just one mistake away from him rolling his eyes and saying, you are such a screw up. Um, so I looked to women for that. And um, after my second divorce, I really kind of said, that's it. I'm not going to go down that path again. But it didn't stop me from pursuing women. Um, I tried to be a good father to Colton, Dalton, and Whitney. In many ways, I thought I was. You know, I supplied things to them they didn't have. I had, we had nice homes, nice cars. But I know it scared those kids. I had a temper that would go off in two seconds. I know it put such a demand of perfection and I was just looking for them to be what I expected myself to be. I struggled connecting with the boys. I wanted to. Um, I, I attribute so many of their, obviously they're grown men, they make their own choices, but so many of the things I struggled with, I know that I was a part of that. Um, in 2001, I think I shared this in the video, but I had been suicidal since I was age seven. I had an aunt shoot herself in when I was seven years old and I thought, ooh, there's an option. 
So I kind of toyed with that idea and played with it my whole life. And it was always an option for me. It was always an option for me. And until 2001, I, I just, I just, I just said, that's it. And um, I want to stop for a second. I want to apologize publicly to my boys. I know I hurt them and my daughter. I was so confused. I was listening to lies. I was convinced that you'd be better without me. And I was really just doing the same thing my real dad did. I was just bailing on you, and I'm sorry. I love you guys so much. I'm truly sorry for that. I know it hurt you. Um, I'm going to get off track here. Keep me honest. So I, It's okay. Go ahead. So, making tons of money, dating and having more than dating relationships with beautiful women, handsome, strong, working out, that was so satisfying that you wanted to kill yourself. You know, that's the irony to it all. When I sold my stock in April of 2000, I'd never seen that kind of money in my life. And I built this home for the, the kids. I thought that'd make us happy. And man, I was so, I've never been more miserable. Yeah. I never was. And I had everything I really truly wanted. I wanted my kids in my life and they were living yeah. with me full time. And but man, I didn't know what to do with it. And it, it was just, it was just all a lie. I had developed, you know, Dr. Neiman, who is so responsible for so many of the reasons I've made the changes I have. It gave me the courage, challenged me verbally, gut punched me a few times. Um, he, he said, you developed a set of skills, survival skills as a kid, and yeah. they worked really, really well. Yep. And you found all kinds of success. He said, but those don't work as an adult and not right. where you're wanting to be. And he said one more thing. And I remember this vividly. I was in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I was sitting in front of an Arby's facing north, south in my car. And he said, Michael, it's not enough that you believe in God. Even demons believe in God. He said, you've got to believe God. And that might not mean much to you, but it meant a lot to me because I don't know that I truly blamed what his word said about me, wow. who I was, my identity in him. Yeah. And that set me on a path to start pursuing really, okay, who is my identity in Christ? Intellectually, I knew that, but in my heart, I didn't feel it. So, yeah. so Jesus said this and maybe you've read this and just thought, ah, Jesus is just trying to get everybody to be good, to do the right things. But he said, what good is it, what good is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his soul in that process? And a lot of you, like Michael, you've been chasing some things and you've been getting some things and you don't feel any better. A lot of you, maybe you feel worse. You're looking for something that you can't find in those things so, Michael, I, real quickly, I, I know we only have a few more minutes left, but this story is hard, but it didn't, it doesn't have a bad ending. No. And it's still not over yet. No. You met Jesus in a life changing way on the mission field. Mm -hmm. He, he, got a hold of you, woke you up, grabbed a hold of you. What, what happened that day? And what did that, what, what was the trajectory that changed for you that day? Well, just backing up a little bit. You know, I, was, I was in between 
clients as a consultant. It was August of 2015, and I was with a guy, and we were, it was just kind of a fill-in role until I found a new client. And I was with a guy, and we were driving to Tahlequah, Oklahoma, and he said, he started talking, he traveled to Papahagan, and he was on his prayer team, and he asked me, he said, do you believe people have different spiritual gifts? And I said, of course I do. He said, I traveled to Papahagan, and mine was praying for the sick, and praying for the ill, and praying for people. And do you believe in that? And I said, sure, I believe it. He said, do you believe in miracles? And I said, well, I guess. I mean, I, yeah, I do. But I believe in the lottery and I've never won it. And he said, so I, I did believe in miracles, but I didn't believe that would happen to me. Because why would it? Look at all the mess I've made. Look at who I am. And in my, you know, I think one of the biggest sins that men have is self-rejection. And if you struggle with that, I'm going to tell you the only way to repair that is understanding your identity in Christ. And I mean truly understanding that and embracing that. But he says, I'm going to pray for you. You're never going to have a suicidal ideation again. I said, yeah, right. Okay, sure. You want me to pull off the road? And he said, no, let's, let me, I'll just do it tonight. I'm going to pray for you. That was August of 2015. I had never not had a suicidal thought in my head for maybe more than a week. I haven't had a suicidal ideation since August of 2015. Not one. Not one. So that, that really triggered me to get more involved. We had moved out of state after starting Church on the Move, and so we started coming back to Church on the Move full-time at that point. Um, and then I just felt compelled to go on a mission trip. Don't know why. I don't know where it came from. I just well, I don't know where it came from. But So Hillary had gone on one, and um, I saw she came back different. She radiated a, a light out of her face I had never seen. Um, so we talked about going together. She didn't want me to go. She said, you'll suck the life out of a room. And I'm like, well, you're not going to Africa by yourself. And we actually got in about a 30 second tit, you know, fight over this. And I said, well, you're not going. And I walked out the door, made it to the mailbox. And I said, I'm not her dad. I can't tell her that. I said, honey, I can't tell you that. She said, I can't tell you. I'm not going. It was a really good night that night. So we made up, but, but. So, so we went on, we went on this mission trip together and, and I made a vow and a promise to, to be quiet. I don't want to be the center of attention there. And, and that's one thing I was really embarrassed that that was a shame thing that kind of pulled me back because I always felt like I had to be the center of attention. I'm embarrassed how me, 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 I was, I could turn anything back to me. Um, and so I said, I'm going to go to serve. That's the only reason I want to go. And so I'll make this really fast. We were in a part of Celebration Church and we had been going out into villages and praying with people. And I'd had the Holy Spirit speak through me. And when I was praying for four guys that said they wanted to be saved and I'm like, I'm not qualified for this. And he said, just say what I say. And it was, it was moving experience, but, but we're in this, 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 this basement of Celebration Church where they had a kind of a younger, louder, later type service. And, um, I'm looking down at my wife. Now, Hillary is an amazing woman, um, but she had, fought, she had fought some past demons herself. She had gone from, I would say, will you pray for me? And she said, I'm not gonna pray for you face to face. I can't do that. I'll do that in quiet. To if Pastor Witt asked her tomorrow, and don't do this, please. But if, she, if he asked her to walk up and leave prayer for the service, she would do it. And that's Jesus in her life. And I saw it manifest changes in her. And I looked down and I could see her down there. And we were, they were, it was a praise and worship song. They were doing Good, Good Father. But if you've never seen the African community praise and worship, you're missing out. Um, and I just, I just, I was glazing at my wife thinking it's so beautiful. And she had her hands in the air and tears were flowing down her face. And 
all these young African ladies were just looking at her and emulating her. It was, it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And, and as loud as it was in that room, it got deathly quiet. And I heard what seemingly to me felt like an audible voice. And it said, Michael, what do you live, love to be called more than anything? I said, daddy. Dalton still calls me daddy today and he's 31 years old and I love it. And he said, so do I. So do I. Just give me a chance to earn your trust. And I thought, who am I? Who am I? I'm, I'm a screw up. I'm a mess up. He said, you're my son. And I committed at that point to going all in, losing all the garbage. It took a time. It took a period of time to really identified the things. And through Dr. Neiman's help, Mike Shields was a, a huge part of that. I probably didn't even wear how much he was. He took us through a, a study of a book called, um, Dr. Neiman had given it to me four or five years earlier. It's called um, Unoffendable. I was so offended when I read that book, I threw it down and said, that's stupid. <laughs> well, Mike says, hey, we're gonna do a study on a book called Unoffendable. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeehaw. It's amazing. Is humbling. And um, so that was, and, and, then, and then obviously I think being connected, I wanted a brotherhood. I, I'm gonna make a confession right now in front of Lee and everybody in this room. I've never said to anybody but my wife, but when you start talking this brotherhood nonsense, I thought, this is crazy. This is fake. It, 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 these guys don't really care. They'll care enough just to be nice for a minute. And I'm sorry to be that transparent, but that's kind of how jaded I was. Guys, I'm gonna tell you, if you don't have brothers in your life, I've got my best friend in the whole wide world sitting right down here and that man has gone to die for me, saved my life, found me in the woods after my suicide attempt. You need brothers. I think Chris Hodge said, if you're the only one that knows what's going on up here, you're in trouble. I know that there's men in this room that love me and care for me, care for my boys, care for my family. Um, and man, that's made all the difference. Even if I wanted to back out of church, I don't think it could happen. I think... There'd be 15 guys on my doorstep in a matter of time. I mean, Parker recently just went through a horrible incident. We thought for about 15 minutes, really almost 36 hours, we thought he had passed. And I went outside because I wasn't going to break in front of my wife. And I went outside and I'm just about to lose it. And I said, Lord, I wouldn't speak anything negative, but I felt it. But I said, Lord, you're going to bring that boy to life. You're going to give that boy life. He's going to live and he's going to grow up to be strong. The strong boy that he is today, he's going to be a strong man. And I looked up and here comes an army of men. Trandy Birch, I think he beat the ambulance to the, to the hospital. Lee Martin, Stephen Posey, Terry Johnson. These men came and got around my side. My phone blew up. My pastor called. Um, uh, Coach Ricky called. Coach McCorders called. Darren Melton, who I go way back with, called. I mean, it was the most amazing amount of support I've ever seen and felt in my entire life. We love you. I love you too, bud. And I love the brotherhood too. <laughs> I had two questions, but I want to just reduce it to one. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give the answer of the one that I'm skipping. The other day you told me you've never been more happy. No. You've never been more blessed You've never been more satisfied. You've never loved your family more than now because of Jesus, because of your real Jesus experience. No matter all that you'd accomplished before, God has healed places in you and he has given you a joy unspeakable and we feel it. 
That's what Jesus can do. What I, the question I do want you to answer is there are men in this room who they didn't have a dad or the dad that they did have didn't show them love, didn't make them feel like he was proud of them. There are men in this room who have chased a career and it's not what they thought it would be. There's men in this room who have failed marriages because their relationship with women was not healthy and not right. Having traveled a lot of those paths and found yourself here with Jesus, with your family, happier than you've ever been, what advice, what would you say to those guys who are stuck, who are not sure how to move forward with where they are? What would you say to those guys? You know, there's a scripture, and I'm not a theologian. I I wish I could knew half of what Blake Zimmerman forgot, but... um, I know that God is no respecter of people and what he's done for me, he will do for you. Our pastor George, our founding pastor of Church on the Move has recently did a a bit about 20 sessions on the law of continuance. What God has started, he will finish. Going from head knowledge to heart knowledge was a miracle in my life. But I'm telling you, if it can happen to you, it will happen to you. You've got to pour yourself in, though. I think John Schimmer said it extremely well. God doesn't want 98% of you. He's not interested in that. He wants all of you. I mean, if you're struggling with porn, you've got to come out and say it. If you've had affairs, you've got to come out and say it. You've got to bring that to light because what's in light, what's in the darkness has to be brought to light. That's it, period. If you will go all in, surround yourself with men that love you and care about you, they don't care about how much money you make or what you've done or what you look like um, and, and truly understand what it means to be surrounded by the love of Jesus. And God's sometimes he uses guys. I mean, he uses them to tell you things and direct you and lead you. I don't, I think one of the best things that ever happened in COVID was I've always loved Pastor Witt. I've watched him grow up from a young man, but that scared the crap out of me uh, back in the day, but <laughs> largely because he's really tall, but but after COVID, I don't know what happened, but I, I have never been more excited to come to church and hear the word of God in my entire life. I mean, these sermons, they're off the hook. I, I, I tell him often, I said, your sermon made me squirm, made me feel uncomfortable, made me laugh, made me cry, made me feel hopeful, gave me hope. I mean, that's, we, we, I want to be convicted. I want to find whatever's impure in me, gut it out. But I, I have never been this happy. I find more joy today to see Colt playing with his kids on the floor to watch my son Dalton embrace his daughters or his sons to see Parker get up out of that hospital bed and walk out and and then and then I've got my giant down here Tristan he's 6'3 yes he is my child um, but he's got the poise and the maturity of a grown wise man and I love watching these guys grow I love watching my little brother come to love Jesus. One of the most talented men you'll ever meet. Told his whole life it wasn't worth anything. He's not that much this. Can't do that, can't do this. Man can train a horse better than any guy in this room, hands down. But he's a good man and he loves Jesus today. And I love seeing that. My best friend and, and my, his identical twin brother, Bruce Johnson. If you don't know the Johnson twins, you're missing out. I've watched these guys embrace Jesus to the point they work with youth. Their families are amazing. Jesus will radically alter your life. You've just got to give him the chance and trust him to do it. Listen, men are going to fail you. I'm going to hang around me long enough. I'll disappoint you. 
but we're humans, right? We just keep trying to get better and better. And, and if you've had church hurt in your past, I get that. That wasn't God's fault. Humans are gonna, we're gonna disappoint each other. We just gotta keep plugging away, plugging away. And the thing that's so beautiful about Church on the Moon, these, I think these are real men, men that make mistakes, they apologize for it, they love each other, they confess their sins, they grow stronger. And God will lead you places you never dreamed. I never dreamed in five million years I'd be walking in prison. These are men I used to judge. Praise God, Mike Shields was courageous enough to say, Michael, I think you need to work in prisons two years ago. So about every other Saturday, I get to go to Dick Connors. I have the pleasure, the privilege of going to Dick Connors and hugging these guys and loving them and saying, I don't care what you did. I had a guy recently tell me he murdered his wife. I'm like, who are you today? And the guy's so excited for Jesus. And, and to see the hope and the joy and excitement in this guy's eyes, he's in prison. He doesn't get to go hunting or go traveling and climbing mountains. And just to see the radical transformation in this guy's face. And if you don't believe me, uh, that's fine. Don't believe me. But listen, give it a chance. Come talk to me about it. It will radically change. It changed John Shimmer's life. It changed my life. It changed Lee's life. Stephen Posey, one of my best friends, train wreck. Last Saturday, we celebrated his ordination, or Sunday, we celebrated his ordination in Santa Barbara, California. He's going to lead people. He's going to grow the kingdom of God out there. Brotherhood, would you guys join me in thanking Michael for sharing his story? Have a seat. We're almost done. We're almost done. Listen, we are, we are men. We like to keep it simple, right? And so here's the simple message. The men who follow Jesus don't have it all together. They have a story that's filled with hurt and failure and mistakes but because of the grace and the goodness of God and a real relationship with Jesus, we can find the things that we're looking for. We can grow in strength. We can be the men that we most desire to be. That's the story. That's why we share these testimony stories and just don't have a preacher come up and preach a message every, every month because we want you to know that, that we're all in this together and wherever you are, there are steps that you can take to get better, to get stronger, to get more free from whatever it is that's holding you back. And so it's pretty simple. You've heard it every single month. You heard it in what Michael said, surrender and enter into a real relationship with Jesus. That's hard on your pride. That's hard on your ego to say, I need help. I'm surrendering to Jesus because I can't do this on my own. But I guess my question to be is, how has it been going for you if you've been doing it on your own? What do you have to lose? And the second thing is connect to a brotherhood and look around. We have one. Look around your table. This city is filled with churches where people will come together. This is one of them. We'd love to have you here. If not here, find a church. But this is a brotherhood where you can get connected. You're connected to God and you're connected to people. That was what you were created to do. If you're not doing either of those things, good luck. It's gonna be difficult. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Michael's life 
And I thank you for the way you've changed it. Father, if there are men in this room this morning who need to take a step today, maybe it's just a small step to say, I'm gonna come back next month. Maybe it's just a small step to say, I'm gonna connect with somebody at this table. Maybe go to coffee with them. And maybe it's the step to say, Jesus, I'm ready to trust you. I pray that you'd help me find them right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're in this room today, you've listened to Michael's story, you've said, I'm tired of being where he was. I wanna be where he is. Then I want you to do something bold right now. Nobody's watching. I want you to stick your hand up in the air right now. Just do it. I'm watching. Yep, I see your hand right back there. Another one right here. Yes. Any others? Any others? We've got two or three that have raised their hand. I'm taking a step. Yep, right down here on my right I'm taking a step today. I'm gonna stop depending on myself and I'm gonna start trusting God. I'm gonna gonna believe that he has good for me if I will follow him. Is that you? Raise your hand up right now. I wanna see you. Yep, I see you. Here's another one and another one. Others, I'm gonna give you just another second. Yep, right back here in the back. Anybody else? Okay, brothers, we're gonna pray this prayer together, okay? So you repeat this after me. If you raised your hand, you pray this really loud, okay? Let's do it. Heavenly Father, I surrender to you. I trust you with my life. Come into my life. Change me from the inside. I give you my past. I give you my present. I give you my future. Jesus, Lead me into life. Lead me away from temptation and sin and lead me into life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.